You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. My name is Greg, and um, I'm thankful that you're all here this morning. It's a May-long weekend. I was wondering if anyone was going to show up, so props to you guys for showing up this morning. Um, we're going to be continuing our sermon series uh, through the letters of, of John, the epistles of John, and um, our sermon series is titled From the Beginning, because that's a theme. He's, he's drawing the church back to the, the, the truth, the word that's existed from the beginning. And um, for those of you who don't know, today is also Pentecost Sunday, uh, when we celebrate as Christians and remember the event when the Holy Spirit descended upon that first group of believers, when they, when they started speaking in, in all different tongues and everything, right? And, and when Peter preached that first sermon announcing that God's spirit is for all who believe in Jesus' name. And one of the things that's amazing about that event, and actually Henry read a passage uh, this morning, or at the beginning of the service about that actually, is that it reminds us that God has not left us or abandoned us as orphans. He sent his, his spirit to dwell with us. That means he's working in us. God is with us. We are his temples. And, and that's such an amazing thing to think about. And... Um, by sending his spirit to indwell with us, he's, he's sealed us as his own. And uh, on that note, today we're going to be talking about what it means to be God's own, what it means to be God's children. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So if you want to turn with me to 1 John 2, we're going to be starting at verse 28, and we're going to be going all the way to verse 10 of chapter 3. So 1 John 2, verse 28. All right. And now, little children, remain in relationship to Jesus so that when he appears, we can have confidence and not be ashamed in front of him when he comes. If you know that he is righteous, you also know that every person who practices righteousness is born from him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us and that we should be called God's children. And that is what we are. Because the world didn't recognize him, it doesn't recognize us. Dear friends, now we are God's children. And it hasn't yet appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we'll see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Every person who practices sin commits an act of rebellion, and sin is rebellion. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Every person who remains in relationship to him does not sin. Any person who sins has not seen him or known him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The person who practices righteousness is righteous in the same way that Jesus is righteous. The person who practices sin belongs to the devil because the devil has been sinning since the beginning. God's son appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil So those born from God don't practice sin because God's DNA remains in them. They can't sin because they are born from God. This is how God's children and the devil's children are apparent. Everyone who doesn't practice righteousness is not from God, including the person who doesn't love a brother or sister. Let's pray really quickly. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Even though it can sometimes be challenging, 
Lord, I actually thank you when it is challenging, Lord, that, that uh, you would bring uh, conviction, that you would open our hearts to receive and, and see you in, in a new and, and greater way, and, and in turn, that we would see ourselves for who you've created us to be, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a couple of months ago at some church gathering thing, I happened to make a joke. Um, no one laughed, which is expected. But instead, someone turned to me and said with an eye roll, wow, that sounds exactly like something your dad would say. (laughs) And and I responded to that remark by throwing my hands in the air and screaming, no! But I can't deny the truth is inevitable. In many ways, I guess, I've turned out to be just like my dad. Which, when I think about it, isn't so bad. So I'm not actually complaining. My dad's a nice guy. Plus, he's here this morning. So I have to watch what I say. And really, it can't be helped. That's just the way it works. Whether we like it or not, and even whether we try to avoid it or not, we usually grow up to be like our parents or our guardians in a lot of ways. Not just genetically, like we'll look like them, right? But, but also socially or habitually, emotionally. On this, uh, on this topic, professional psychotherapist Victoria Donahue states that it's very easy to become like your parents, especially for those who are not aware or conscious of it. The reason it is so common is because 80 to 90% of our life are actually operating on the unconscious level. Most of our interactions are unconscious. For the most part, people start acting like their parents and start inheriting attributes from our parents when we're infants and toddlers. The brains are actually programmed by our caregivers to act and behave in the world, so it actually starts much younger. So there you have it. For good or ill... Our parents, from our birth, even into adulthood, play an extremely significant role in shaping who we are as people and forming our very identities. And our identities, of course, shape our lives and the way we live, what we believe, why we do what we do. Uh, Reed Hoffman writes, identity is a core and unavoidable part of all our lives. Our actions shape our identity, and in turn, our identity shapes our actions. Identity is your vector. It is a path defined by what you do and why you do it. And Reed Hoffman is a co-founder of LinkedIn, so he knows what he's talking about, right? No one got my joke there. See, no one laughs at my jokes. Um, so, but his quote's real. So if our parents play a large role in forming our identities, right? right our parents play a large role in forming who we are and shaping who we are, and why we do what we do, and how we do what we do, right? And if we grow up becoming like them in their attributes, emotionally, habitually, all that kind of stuff, think of this then. How amazing it is, as John writes to these believers, how amazing is it that God is our Father, that we should be called children of God, that God wants us to be like Him. Verse 1, it says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us and that we should be called God's children, and that is what we are. See it, John proclaims. Look, or as some translations say, behold, stand in awe and wonder at how much God loves us, how much his love has been lavished upon us, that he should adopt us 
as his own. For this is who we are, God's children. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he writes this, To be a child of God means that we stand in a certain position. A child is in a certain relationship to the parents. He has a certain station and is therefore entitled to certain privileges. The word child also carries with it a kind of legal statement which defines the relationship and is related to a given parent in a way that no one else is. Think of how awesome this is. Think of the implications of what it means to be a child of God. This is what John's reminding his readers and now us today. To be a child of God, it's, it's no small thing. It's no small thing. But before we go any further, let's talk about who John's talking to, who he's referring to as God's children. We need to understand that first, which is why he says in 1 John 2, 29, before he starts talking about that, he says, And now, little children, remain in relationship to Jesus, so that when he appears, we can have confidence and not be ashamed in front of him when he comes. If you know that he is righteous, you also know that every person who practices righteousness is born from him. So John's reminding them that it's through Jesus, by abiding in him, by remaining in relationship with him through faith, that we can claim this right as children of God. On this, Jones again writes, there's a sense in which all men and women are children of God, in the sense of being the offspring of God, by which we mean that they've been created by God and come from him. So in a sense, we're all created by God. We can all be children of God, so to speak. But, he says, the scriptures are careful to differentiate from those who come into a special relationship of sonship to God as a result of the work of Jesus Christ. And that's what John's talking about in this passage. Only as a result of the work of Jesus Christ, by his life, by his death, by his resurrection, can we claim this right as God's children. Or rather, through Jesus, we get to claim this right as God's children. As Jesus once stated, to know him is to know the Father. And even more than that, as it says in John 1, 12 to 13, but to all who did receive him, Jesus, the word, the word from the beginning, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And on that note, you might have recognized a theme in a bunch of these passages and verses that we've been reading and and we'll read later as well, that just about every time there's a passage about being God's children, there's also a reference in some capacity to being born or born again or born of him or something to that effect, right? Because first of all, that's what happens when we repent of our sin and believe in the name of Jesus. By his grace, we're born again, spiritually speaking, that is. We're made new, right? But we have to recognize that it means more than just becoming new. It's a means of being able to start from the beginning. As I mentioned at the start of the sermon, it's our, our, our parents, they play a large role in influencing and affecting our identity, right? Who we are. And this identity formation starts when? From birth, from infancy. So to be born again means two things. First, we're freed from our old identity as, as a sinner, right? It's, it's all put to death. All our sin and our guilt and our shame and our old life is erased and forgotten. And then secondly, we're born anew into the family of God, given a new identity as a child of God, or as a song earlier said, as kids of grace. 
And as, as, as a child of God, born again, we can start over, right? We, we can grow up and mature into our Heavenly Father's likeness. Saved from being orphan sinners into new life as children of the living God. John Stott writes, But now there comes to the fore that birth from God, which alone makes it possible to know God and remain in him. Such a spiritual birth is due to a divine begetting, which is the imparting of the life of God. And it has manifest consequences in the life of a Christian. For he who has been born of God does not continue to sin, but practices righteousness, loves his brothers and sisters in God's family, and believes that Jesus is the Christ. So as as John writes as well, those who abide in Christ and obey him can claim with confidence that they're God's children. For in Christ, that's who they are. And if you believe in Jesus, that's who you are. That's who you are. Do you ever think of yourself like that? You ever look in the mirror and say, I'm a child of God. Sometimes it can kind of be cheesy as adults to say that we're children. But we should. We should think of ourselves like that. We should remind ourselves of this fact daily. Because in the same way, we need to understand, like I said earlier, that it's no small thing. It's not just a nice, cozy sentiment or statement that that John's writing to, to make his readers feel positive about themselves or something like that. The implications of being a child of God are huge. In fact, our identity, our, our joy, our confidence, our actions in life, and our hope for the future as Christians is rooted in this reality that we're children of God. Because to be a child of God, again, is to be in relationship with him in a way that, that no one else is. And this relationship, this station, comes with all the privileges and responsibilities of God's name. Kind of like in the, in the same way that, that members of the royal family, like Prince Harry, and he was in the news yesterday, I don't, I don't really know why, but Pri- Prince Harry or, or Prince William, you know, how they might represent the queen or might represent their family name, right? They, they have certain privileges as royalty, of course. They have a lot of privileges as royalty. But, but they also have responsibilities to, to represent the queen, to represent that family name. In, in a regal and responsible manner as ambassadors to the throne. So as, as children of God, we have glorious privileges as well. But we're also called to represent God as ambassadors of, of Christ on this earth. So we have privileges and we have responsibilities, and they're kind of tied up together. And what I want to do this morning is go through some of these privileges and responsibilities in order to remind us of how awesome and significant it is to be a child of the Almighty God. And, and hopefully it will encourage and inspire us as believers. And um, I have a bunch of points, so I'm, I'm going to be cruising through them. So pay attention. If you're taking notes, get ready. Hopefully you're taking notes. I don't see any notepads. <laughs> Just kidding. You can listen to the recording again later and then take notes. That's what I'm assuming everyone does. All right. First of all, then, <laughs> to, to be a child of God, first of all, is to know him not as some distant or cold figurehead, but as our personal, loving, and caring father. Romans eight fourteen to 15 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, 
but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Jewish children often call their fathers Abba because it's an endearing or loving term that to us might mean something like daddy or or papa or something like that. It implies a relationship of familial trust and dependence and comfort and love. And this is how a child of God can look to and interact with God. Not Not as some cold, distant being, but as Abba. As, as a father we can depend on, as a father who loves us as his children. That's my first point. Secondly, then, as a child of God, we can also be confident in the presence of God. Verse 28 says, And now, little children, remain in relationship to Jesus, so that when he appears we can have confidence and not be ashamed in front of him when he comes. So we all know that kids have no shame, right? Kids have no shame, especially in front of their parents, do they? They'll wake them up in the middle of the night to ask for water or to tell us something insignificant, right? They'll run around naked in, in front of their parents. Uh, they'll say or sing whatever's on their mind, right? They'll interrupt their parents in the middle of the meeting, which reminds me one time when I happened to be in a kind of serious meeting with uh, some other pastors, and I had to watch my kids at the same time, so they were in the other room playing, and, and the tone of the meeting was getting pretty heavy and, and uh, pretty serious. And Elliot, who was around four at the time, he walked into the meeting, he just kind of opened the door, just barged right in, and he yelled as loudly as possible, Dad, I have to poo! It's a true story. All the other pastors were horrified. No, everyone laughed. But as children of God, we can approach God like this. We can tell him when we have to poo. Seriously, though, we can approach him and we can, we can pray to him openly and honestly and confidently at any time and without shame. Without shame. Why? Because Jesus has taken our guilt. He's taken our shame upon himself already at the cross. Ephesians 3.12 says, Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So we can, we can approach God like kids do with their parents, with whatever's on our mind, whenever we need to. And we can do it with boldness and we can do it with confidence, knowing that he's our loving father and we're his kids. He listens and he hears. And it works the other way too. My third point this morning, as his children, God gives us strength and confidence in this world. In this world. For example, you know those times when kids are playing on, on a schoolyard and uh, then they start getting into a fight or something, and one of them might say, I'm telling my dad. And then the other one will say in response, I don't care, my dad's bigger than your dad. And then it goes on like that. Um, what's happening there is that th- these kids' personal confidence is coming from the strength of their dads, as if, as if their dads are standing right behind them. That's where their confidence is coming from. With that in mind then, don't you think that as children of God, Children of God, our confidence and our boldness in the face of opposition or or suffering or persecution or in just simply living out our faith should be through the roof, shouldn't it? God is literally bigger than anyone else's dad, right? Deuteronomy 4, 7 says, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? 
He's bigger than anyone else's dad. John writes in, in the second half of chapter 3, verse 1, that the reason the world doesn't know them is because the world doesn't know the Father. And so the assumption we can make there is, is that John wrote this because this community of believers was facing some sort of opposition regarding their conduct and lifestyles as Christians. But John's reassuring them that the reason this is happening is actually because they're children of God, because they're doing it right. And that in the same vein, they don't have to worry about the reactions of the world because God is their father. God, the almighty, the alpha and omega, is their father. Let me ask this. How how could this truth not give them and us today boldness and confidence in, in living set apart for God regardless of what the world thinks of us? regardless of what we face, regardless of what we come up against. He's the creator of heaven and earth, and he's our father. The father of lights with whom there is no variation or change, who showers upon his children good and perfect gifts. Which brings us to point number four. God provides for his children. God provides for his children. And some of you might might know this already, but my wife has been away since Thursday morning. I've been complaining about it to everyone I can. She went on a girls' retreat with her sister and a couple of her cousins in Phoenix. Um, Sam's wife is there too, so we're whining together, I guess. I was whining more than him. He wasn't whining at all. I was. But anyways... So for the last couple of days, it's just been me and the boys, which is, which is great, really. So, of course, it was my opportunity, actually, to, to uh, show them that I'm the funner parent, right? Um, so I made sure to buy my kids some treats. I let them stay up a little later than usual. Uh, we, we, we did some fun stuff together. We played hockey in the backyard. You know, we played some video games. We had a pizza night and a movie night. But don't worry, I was also responsible as well. I took my oldest son to the optometrist. I took my youngest to a doctor's appointment, and get this, I even made sure they were fed and dressed, and that they got to school on time, thank you. I even made them eat vegetables, and I baked pancakes for them, because that's all I know how to make. Bottom line here is that neither of them were wounded that bad, so I'm pretty proud of myself as a dad. I did pretty good the last couple of days, but the thing is, no matter how good of a father I might be, I'm not always perfect in, in that role. I, I make mistakes. I lose my patience with them. I get selfish. Those are things I, I, I have to repent of daily. But fortunately for us, God's an even better dad than I am. And he'd still be, even if I was the best dad on earth. God's a better dad. Which is why Jesus tells his disciples, Matthew 7, 9 to 11, it says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? And before that, in Matthew 6, 26 to 33, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, well, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. To be a child of God is to know that we have a heavenly Father who knows that we, what we need before we even ask, who provides, who gives, who loves, who cares, who values us above all other creatures in creation. He values us so much, in fact, that he sent his one and only begotten son to clothe us in righteousness through the shedding of his own blood, who satisfies our souls as our living water and, our bread, and, and the bread of life. But there's more. Point number five, John reminds us in the passage this morning that to be a child of God is also to carry the very seed, or as some translations say, the DNA of God. We carry the family likeness and are sealed as such by his spirit. Verse nine says, those born from God don't practice sin because God's DNA remains in them. They can't sin because they are born from God. So we not only have the Father as our source and our, our refuge, we, we carry his life and spirit within us. Right? We have a Father who loves us so much that he wants us to grow up in his likeness, to reflect his image, to be holy as he is holy. And in saying that, there's definitely a responsibility at play here as well. Right? If God's children are called by God to reflect and represent him in the world, to represent Christ, to be lights of Christ in the world, then we need to make every effort to do that. That's our responsibility, which brings me to the next point, point number six, is that children of God have been given authority over sin and the freedom to live righteously. John, in fact, contrasts a child of God with children of the devil in verses four to ten. I'm going to read that really quickly again. When he says, every person who practices sin commits an act of rebellion, and sin is rebellion. We need to understand that sin is rebellion. It's not just being bad. Okay, we often think, well, sin is just being bad. You're either bad or you do bad things, or you do good things. No, sin is rebellion. It's going against God and what he's created us to be. That's what sin is. Sin is rebellion. And you know that he appeared to take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Every person who remains in relationship to him does not sin. Any person who sins has not seen him or known him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The person who practices righteousness is righteous in the same way that Jesus is righteous. The person who practices sin belongs to the devil because the devil has been sinning since the beginning. God's son appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Those born from God don't practice sin because God's DNA remains in them. They can't sin because they are born from God. This is how God's children and the devil's children are apparent. Everyone who doesn't practice righteousness is not from God, including the person who doesn't love a brother or sister. So the difference between a child of God is pretty clear. It's the ability to live righteously. Or, sorry, the difference between a child of God and one who isn't is pretty clear. The ability to live righteously. In fact, it says children of God can't even remain in sin because God's DNA remains in them. 
We live righteously just as Jesus is righteous. We've been given the, the strength and the authority to do that. I don't want to misunderstand the passage here. Let's keep it in context because I don't think John's saying children of God are perfectly sinless. In fact, only a few passages earlier, he says that anyone who, who says they don't sin is a liar and the truth isn't in them. So we have to keep it in context. What I think he's saying, though, when he's talking about practicing sin is that children of God no longer sin habitually or continue in sin because it's no longer part of who we are. It's no longer part of our DNA. We no longer seek rebellion but rather we seek to live for God. And this brings me to the next point, point number seven, that God disciplines his children. Proverbs 3.12 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. That may not sound like a privilege, but it is. Because to be disciplined or discipled isn't to be punished. We need to understand it's not to be punished. In fact, Jesus already took our punishment upon himself at the cross. So discipline, God's discipline isn't about punishment for his children. Rather, to be disciplined is to be led, to be redirected or shepherded or sanctified, whatever word you want to use, to, to be led into who we are created to be. To be disciplined is to be shown the right path, the proper way to go. It's to learn what it means to live righteously. It's to learn what it means to be living lives in his image, in his likeness. And the process sometimes isn't going to be enjoyable. But as it says in Hebrews, it's always for our good. Timothy Keller writes, A good father will lovingly discipline. He will not use his authority selfishly to indulge his own need to feel powerful or in control. But neither will he be so needy for his child's love and approval that he never does what is hard or difficult. It is a privilege to be put through discipline by the most loving father in the universe. Which brings us to point number eight, that children of God have an eternal hope in Christ. Verses two to three says, dear friends, now we are God's children. Now we are God's children. And it hasn't yet appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we'll see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, even as Jesus is pure. So our our hope as children of God is that when Jesus returns, we'll become fully like him, right? Because that's when we'll fully see him for who he is. Not that we'll become gods ourselves or anything like that. Don't misunderstand that. But we'll be like him and that will be completely set apart from sin, right? Made pure and holy and good as he is, uh, living in the presence of the Father. That's our hope for the future and therefore should then be our motivation to live for him today. But there's more than that even. We're also reminded continually by the apostles that we won't just be like him when Jesus returns, but that we'll also share in his glory. In fact, the reason the New Testament often refers to believers as sons or uses the word sonship, you've heard that throughout the message, right? Sons or sonship. That's not because uh, they're favoring one gender over over another or they're forgetting about the women, right? It's because in those days it was the sons who would receive the inheritance of the father. So in other words, as sons to God the Father through Jesus Christ, we've become co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We all get that inheritance, that glorious inheritance. First Peter 1, 3-5 says, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So I'm going to stop there, but the, but the truth is, there are way more benefits and, and responsibilities when it comes to being a child of God. This list is not exhaustive. There's, there's way more to it. But the point that we need to remember is that it is no small thing. It's everything. It's our, it's our identity. It's our confidence and faith. It shapes our actions now and our hope for the future. And as Christians, that is who we are. That's who we are. Do we, do we truly get that? Do we truly get that? If we, think, if we think we do, let me ask then in the words of John Foreman, why do we worry? Why do we freak out? Or even more than that, why aren't we always bold in living out our faith in this world or sharing, our gospel, sharing the gospel? Why do we run for the hills with our end-time survival gear when the world's morality stands at odds with ours? Why do we doubt God or shrink away in self-pity when we suffer or when our circumstances get hard? Why do we often get so easily deceived or swept up in the sinful ways of the world? Why, why, why do we so often fail to love one another as Christians? And instead become divisive or, or, or judgmental or disagreeable? My guess, and, and I'm also speaking from personal experience here, I'm speaking to myself. My guess is that it's because in those moments or seasons where we, where we, where we do stumble in sin or where we do shrink back in fear, we're actually forgetting who we are. We're forgetting who we are. We, for, we forget in those moments that we're children of the Most High. But even, even deeper than that, or, or rather the most likely cause for our identity amnesia in those times, is that we've first of all forgotten who our Father is. This seems to be the, the case for the community that John's writing to. They've, they've set their gaze upon something other than God, and, and in doing so, what's happened? They've lost their very identity. They're being deceived and, and, and blown by the wind in every which way because they've forgotten who they are. Because first of all, they've forgotten who their father is. Because the truth is that we'll lose sight of who we are, our very identity, if we fail to remain in relationship with God. Which makes sense. That makes sense. Like, like the prodigal son who, who took his inheritance from his father and then he ran away from his, from his father's household and from his father's presence in order to find himself or, or, or do his own thing or whatever he was doing, which means he went out to live in sin. Right? But not only did he eventually find himself as poor, as hopeless, as wretched and sleeping in a pig pen, which is basically the dirtiest place a Jewish man could be, but he also forgot who he was. He forgot his status as his father's son. In fact, he'd taken his inheritance and, and run from his namesake. So in his thinking, in his mind, he figured he might be able to go back to his father's household as, as a servant at best. That's what he's thinking. He's thinking, I'm, I'm not my father's son anymore. I have no right to call myself that. So at the very best, I can, I can maybe go beg my father to let me be a servant. 
But as soon as he turned his gaze back toward his father, what happens? He beholds the love of a father who runs out to him and calls him his son. He says, my son has returned. And his father bestows on him a a, a party celebrating his return, lavishing upon him his joy and, and, and glory. And this is John's call for the community in this passage to turn back to God through abiding in Jesus. Because when they do, they'll find a loving father waiting to run to them and call him, call them his children. Because that is who they are. No matter what they've done, no matter how much they've been deceived, no matter how, how much they've strayed, that is who they are. And this is a call for us as well, because this is who we are. Because of Jesus, we've been given the right to be called children of God, children of righteousness. And it's with this in mind that the author of Hebrews writes, Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those who are righteous, right? Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And how do we do that? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So let us set our gaze on Jesus. Because in doing so, we can then run with endurance, with confidence, and with hope knowing that because of Jesus, we're children of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can call you Father. I thank you that you've adopted us as your own, that you've filled us with your Spirit, sealed us as your children. Lord, I pray that we would not forget that, that daily we would remind ourselves how amazing it is that we're children of God, but that we would also remind ourselves of the responsibilities of what it means to represent you on this earth as your children. And I thank you that you haven't left us to do it on our own, Lord, but that you strengthen us, that you provide for us, that you guide us, that you lead us, and to who you've called us to be, Lord. Lord, I thank you that because of your Son, your one and only begotten Son, I thank you that because he willingly took our place at the cross, that we can also be called your children. I give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.